before we start, if I could get you to say your first and last name to make sure I pronounce it right. And if you'd like to give pronouns, give pronouns. Um, well, it's Tom Gold, and Gold rhymes with called. And I guess her pronouns are he, him. Well, hello and welcome to Shelf Healing, UCL's bibliotherapy podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Markwick. Our guest today is Tom Gold. Tom is a cartoonist and illustrator whose work is regularly published in The Guardian, The New Yorker and New Scientists. He also pops them very handily up for us on Twitter, which is, I love it, it's so much fun seeing them pop up in my food. His cartoons regularly feature authors, editors and some really good jokes around reading and writing. He's recently published a new children's book called The Little Wooden Robot and The Log Princess, which is available now from all good bookshops. And you can see a little sneak preview of some of the pages on Tom's website, which we'll link to in the show notes. First question, Tom, to get us started is nice and easy. Do you find that reading in all aspects is therapeutic? Uh, yes. Yes. It's, 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 one of the, it's one of my favorite things to do if I have some time I, I, I if uh, which I'm not fr- either working or frittering away uselessly then yes definitely for me brilliant and obviously you're an artist and you you draw a lot I don't know how you fit it all in it's impressive do you find that sort of the act of drawing and creating art is also therapeutic or is it a bit more stressful because it's now your job that's interesting I suppose reading for me is therapeutic but writing that feels like hard work. It's an, el- an element of my work I need to do, but it's not for me quite as enjoyable as drawing, which is truly therapeutic. And I'm very happy to just sit with a blank piece of paper and enjoy the motion of, of making small drawings or patterns without even thinking of them as my work. So there's some, there's some element of pure pleasure in drawing, which is different from the I suppose for writing, I feel a pleasure when it's finished and when I've made something and when it works. But for me, drawing is in itself pleasurable, even if it's to no purpose. So that's definitely more therapeutic for me. I've spoken to quite a few comic artists and illustrators over the course of this year, which I've been very lucky. And there's been a big divide between people that draw digitally mm. now and people that still draw on paper. Which which side do you? ball for or are you a bit of both i'm more on the paper side i mean the computer is involved in everything i do but i do like to make an actual drawing as i go along so i'll make some pencil drawings and then i might scan them into the computer and fiddle with them and print them out and trace them off and change them i use a light box a lot so i think some artists drawing is like a sort of um virtuosic beauty that comes out of them but for me even though I enjoy it it's 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 drawing something badly and then tracing it so it's a little bit less bad and then tracing it again and and maybe the 10th traced version I've I've got to something I can live with so the computer can help if I draw something a bit too small I can make it bigger or I can straighten things up and I do all my color on the computer so it's very handy from that point of view but I still like the feeling of moving a pen across a piece of paper. I love that. Uh, You've created a huge number of comic strips over the years, and a lot of those feature writers. What is it that draws you to creating sort of comics based on on writers and authors? Well, 
in the simplest terms, that's the job I have for the Guardian. Is that, they, <laughs> is that my cartoon has always been on the books page, and it's always got to relate to writing or reading or 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 some or maybe occasionally the arts, but but most of the time it's about books. So I think it can give the impression that I am a sort of brain in a jar who lives in a library and does nothing but read and and and. I wonder what what it would be like if I if I didn't you know when was it sixteen years ago been hired by the Guardian's sport page or something? Um, I guess the idea of what I am would be quite different. But actually, that's not entirely true because I, I do like reading, and I I think the reason why they've kept me there for sixteen years is because I am interested in books, and it isn't every week me saying God I another cartoon about reading how am I going to do it they, it is something which I do find continually interesting and I suppose as a creative person I can put myself quite easily into the mindset of a writer a prose writer most often but it's pretty much the same process yeah I was gonna say you have some incredibly astute observations sometimes I've got a favorite one that I've bookmarked forever which is your your editor's one where there's a massive stack of paper and he goes the the sticky notes are the the ones which don't need any edits doing, which just felt very accurate. <laughs> yes, well, I'm ple- I'm pleased when I come up with something which is, I suppose, if you were a, a sort of um, an analyst of humour, that's basically just a reversal joke where things seem to be one way round and then they're flipped to the other. But it's great when you come up with something. Which which is nice and simple, but but has a sort of underlying truth in it, and that I guess that's what I'm hoping for in the cartoons is that they, they're both those things a surprising piece of humour and hopefully with some truth or even emotion in there as well. Mm. So obviously you you do your cartoons, your comic strips for a variety of its newspapers. I think you're also in the New Scientist as well, although I don't see those so frequently because I'm a bit more lax on actually buying the new scientist. Sorry, new scientist. I love you a lot. Um, but you also illustrate and your illustrating style is slightly different to your comic drawing style. Did, was that a, is the comic style something you've done in order to get them every week and the illustrations is more time or have you just got like a different brain that you get into when you're doing your illustrations as opposed to the comic strips? I suppose, I suppose the illustrations there is more there's more space to have visual fun in my cartoons and my comics i suppose the the drawing style is is pared down and simple and i don't want stuff in there which will distract from the joke or from the story so i tend to a much more stripped down style whereas with an illustration part of the job is to be to draw people in with a a little bit of visual fireworks. And even though it's pretty much the same style, it tends to be slightly bigger drawings. And I guess I can have more fun. It's more like, as I was talking about, when I'm doodling and enjoying the act of drawing. So the illustrations probably are a little more, I'm having a bit more fun in some way, drawing fun rather than the comics, which is is about about my ideas. And the nice thing about an illustration is someone else has done the hard work of 
figuring out what this thing is going to be about and the research. And really, as an illustrator, all you have to do is read the piece and then be inspired by it. So it can be fun. And maybe that maybe that frees me up a bit to, to, to be more playful with the images. That leads nicely into my next question. How did you find creating your new children's book compared to your usual mode of illustrating and drawing your cartoons and comics? Well, in terms of, of, of that thing of how the words and pictures go together, writing a graphic novel, I, I've always found very difficult because you, you can't just, or I can't just write it out as a script and then illustrate it. You, you need to think how the pictures are going to be on the page. Um, and so the whole thing, it's, it's like constantly trying to figure out whether you're putting the cart before the horse or you're, this is a terrible metaphor, whether you're drawing the horse or the cart or whatever. It's, 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 it's a muddle. And it's it, both times I've done a long graphic novel, I find it very, very difficult. Whereas with the kids book, I very much wrote the story as if I was a writer and then gave it to myself almost as if I was an illustrator to illustrate. So I really enjoyed the illustrations because I felt like people liked the story. The story had been signed off really by the publisher. And I, even though all along I've been thinking about the illustrations, I, I had a, felt like I had a more firm footing for making those pictures. But getting to the stage of having a written children's story was it was almost like putting all the difficult work at the start, I suppose. Lovely. Um, do you have, obviously, this is a question I ask a lot of people, and I quite like asking the artists because we always get really interesting answers. So is there a book that has profoundly affected you in your life in regards to either illustration or comics or cartoons or writing or reading or just anything in general? Um, yes. I think probably the book which changed my changed my life, maybe that's a little bit grand, but um, I was studying illustration at Edinburgh College of Art and I had an idea, a vague idea, that I wanted to tell stories with pictures rather than just illustrating other people's writing. But I didn't, I didn't think I wanted to make comics like any other comics I saw and I couldn't see how I could find my own way into, into that world. And then I discovered a book called Amphigori by a, an American artist called Edward Gorey, who wrote maybe a hundred or maybe more even strange, short, illustrated books, which looked a bit like weird Victorian kids' books, but they were written for adults and they're beautiful objects. He'd design every aspect of them and they were just like nothing else. And I sort of thought, that's what I'd like to do. I don't want to do a photocopied zine, which looks punky because that's not me. And I don't want to do a superhero comic and I don't want to do a kid's At that time, I didn't want to do a kid's book. And I saw his work and I just thought, that's what I want to do. And for a while, my work was just ripping him off all the time and but I got through that and I kept some elements and I think there's definitely a big connection between my work and his work but yeah I think if I hadn't seen those Edward Gorey books I don't know what I'd be doing now work-wise. I think saying that it changed your life is not grand at all it sounds very accurate. Are there any books that you return to over and over again sort of like a comfort book 
what comfort food but book? I think probably, prob- well, Edward Gorey's books, but also P.G. Woodhouse's books. When I was at school, so this was in the 90s, there was the TV show of Jeeves and Wooster with Stephen Fry and um, Hugh Laurie. And a friend, my friend Vicky at school said, oh, the TV show is good, but you've got to read the books. They're much better. And I didn't really believe her, but she was a good friend and she lent me one of her dad's books. And it was right. I mean, as much as I love Fry and Laurie, and, and at the time they were the funniest guys in the world, you realise that writing is just so perfect. And those books are so warm and I almost want to say harmless, but not in a bad way. Just everybody's good. And well, maybe then, and when they're bad, it's, it's, it's forgivable. And I just, I just find them very, um, as you say, like comfort food, very warming. And the, and the writing is completely perfect as well. I thoroughly agree with you there. P.G. Woodhouse, Jews and Worcester. Oh, they're, they're fabulous. Do you have a specific time or a, or a place that you read? You said earlier that obviously you read when you can fit it in because you're very, very busy. Are you a sort of a snuggle up in bed with a book or have an audiobook as you wander around? Well, I, 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 I tend to get the bus to my studio. So I get a little bit of write, reading done on the bus and I tend to try and get to bed not too late and get some reading in before I fall asleep. But often that's like a page and a half before I start nodding off. <laughs> um, and more and more, I listen to audiobooks when I'm working. I can't listen to an audiobook when I'm, when I'm thinking of ideas or when I'm writing words. But when I'm drawing, especially colouring or doing the cross hatching, which takes a long time and needs very little attention. It needs, it needs enough attention, but it doesn't need the attention that listening to a podcast or an audiobook does. So any book that I think I'd like to read, but I sort of have a feeling that I might never read it because it's too frightening, then I listen. And sometimes that has the unfortunate side that I sort of regret that I didn't read the book. But I, the most recent one I listened to was The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. And I totally realised that if, if I'd been reading that to myself, I'd, I'd have stopped because it was it was hard work. But there was something about having it read to me while I was drawing meant I feel like I, I, I really enjoyed it and I did get through it. And so that's when an audio book really pays off, I think. Mm, definitely. Do you have any beautiful books? I feel like someone that draws a lot must have at least one beautiful book sitting somewhere. I think, yeah, I've got, I, I often, well, I used to buy books just because they're beautiful. And I'd go most years to a, a, an amazing comics festival in the south of France in a town called Angoulême, which in fact is where they shot that new uh, Wes Anderson film. It's all filmed in that town. So it's a lovely town and the whole town gets taken over by this comic festival. And I used to go and buy so many comic books in French that I couldn't read just because they were, the French make the most beautiful comic books and the production is lovely. But I've, I've kicked the habit of buying books that I can't, will never be able to read, um, partly just because they were piling up and piling up. Uh, but I still, I still get tempted sometimes with a lovely book. I think probably my favourite one is, as a treat to myself, I bought a slip-cased edition of the first three 
what I think of as the first, the best Edward Gorey books. And it's a lovely slipcase that he designed with three lovely editions of his books inside. And it was quite expensive, but I feel like it was a treat. I, well, I, I suppose I, I must feel I deserved it. <laughs> it sounds like it. I'm very tempted. I've never heard of him before. So I know what I'm doing after we finish recording this. Oh yeah. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's, he's best known probably for one book he did called the the Gashley Crumb Tinies, which is an alphabet book of children and the way that they died. And Fantastic. Big, I love it. A big influence on Tim Burton. So there's that sort of dark thing. That book's maybe a little more, that's a good one to start with because it's, it's, it's very simple and, and, and obviously funny. So it can't remember it. And they're very, it's very deadpan. So yeah, if you like my work, I think you'd, I think you'd like his. Yeah. Now, obviously, a lot of your comic strips and your cartoons are very, very funny. Do the jokes come to you before you start drawing or do you have like a little image of the drawing that is the joke, if that makes sense? I feel like that was a very complicated way of saying drawing image first or joke first. Well, what sort of comes first is an idea which is in my head and isn't really a word isn't necessarily words or pictures. It might be a scene with some people talking in it. So I guess everything comes at once in that case. Other times it's a funny phrase that I think I can work with. So then I get the phrase right and figure out how to make it work in the picture. And then other times I have a funny image and have to work out what text to put in it. The hardest thing is when a really good text um piece comes to me that I can't figure out how to do visually because I know that one of the things I have to do on the pages of these magazines is is make the page not just lots of words I have to add some images so those are the trickiest ones where I'm trying to almost reverse engineer a picture out of an idea which would probably be better as a as purely a text piece so those are the trickiest ones but the best feeling in the world is when I'm walking to work and I have a coffee at home and then I pick up a coffee on the way and the walking and the caffeine some days means as I, by the time I open the, put the key in the studio door, there's enough of an idea that I can pretty much come straight to the drawing board and start drawing. And those days feel like a, an amazing gift. Um, whereas there's other days I'm still here at sort of two days later, scratching my head and trying to think and there's there's not a worse feeling I suppose it shows how easy my life is that there isn't a worse feeling for me than that (laughs) now obviously we've spoken a little bit about it already but your your new book with a fabulous name actually the little wooden robot and the log princess it feels like a fairy tale and it sounds really lovely and I do need to get a copy I've been meaning to get a copy for ages the little sneak preview pages on your on your website it looks heartbreaking Absolutely heartbreaking. When she falls asleep and he's all broken. I was just like, it's one page, and I was I was very upset. Um, well, it does have a it, it does have a happy ending, so we should say that. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm relieved. Um, what what sort of sparked the idea for the little wooden robot and the log princess? Well, I've I've sort of since I had children, I've got two daughters who are now thirteen and sixteen. So, I, I 
you, when, when you go through a stage or we went through a stage, I guess, from when they were two to like seven or eight, where you're reading them stories every night at bedtime, often two, sometimes three picture books. And for me, it was like a real boot camp on what children's books are and what how brilliant they can be when they work and how disappointing it is when they don't work. And I saw at the end of, or, or as those years went on, I more and more felt I wanted to have a try of writing a children's book using the things I'd learned. You know, if I think if I tried to write a children's book before that period, I'd have written something quite different, sort of realizing that that, that sort of picture book is very much a script for a performance by a parent to a child accompanied by pictures in a book, which is very different from how you read a comic book. So I sort of realized that I wanted to make a book and I liked how much my children enjoyed the classic fairy tales and how powerful those Grimm's fairy tales are, particularly the Grimm's ones. And I, my plan was to to find the right Grimm's fairy tale and adapt it to be my own story. But I realized either they're really well known and they're well known because they're, 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 they're good ones. And other than deconstructing it, which I didn't want to do, it didn't seem there was anything very interesting there or they aren't well known. And the reason is that they're absolutely horrifying or they have some weird sort of moral. One of my favorites called the, the mouse, the bird and the sausage, and they live together in a house and things go wrong. But the moral is basically know your place and don't try new things, which doesn't seem very good moral for children today. So I sort of slightly despaired at, I guess, what I was hoping was the easy route of not having to write a story. Um, and then in the end, I thought, well, I'm going to have to write my own story. And Around the same time, I was, we quite often make up stories for my daughters. We had a series of ones called the Fox stories, which were about an evil fox and some children. But they were often told in the car when we were trying to get the kids to go to sleep. So they were intentionally very slow and very boring. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't want to make a very slow, very boring story. But I did have one story that I'd made up for them because we call my younger daughter Iris, who sleeps solidly every night never seems to wake up we called her the log and I invented this story about a little log princess who every night when she fell asleep she turned into a log and in the first version I made for the girls it was two princesses and she forgets to wake her sister up and the log gets lost and then there's a quest to, to get it back so I sort of wrote the first draft accidentally just improvising it as I went along which if I if I could, I'd write all my stories like that because it's a great way of getting over the all the all the tricks your brain can play on you to persuade you not to write. It's quite good to just get on with it and get it out there. So I don't know. I, I have to find a way. Now, now, now I don't have small children, but I, I need to improvise more often if I can, I think. Yeah, that sounds like a really lovely way to come up with a story idea. I'm a bit jealous now. Yeah, and then I just worked on it for a couple of years in the background when I wasn't doing something else, just tinkering with it and trying to make the story work as well as possible. And because I love, for some reason, drawing robots, 
I thought it would be more fun and more unexpected to have a princess and a robot than two princesses. I just thought it was visually more interesting. So that sort of went into the story. And quite a lot of the story was me, the writer, thinking, well, what would me, the illustrator, like to draw here? So there's, you know, I, I do like maps and I like complicated um, pictures with lots happening in them. So I, I sort of wrote a story which would be a sort of a vessel to hold some of the things I wanted to draw. That must be quite a fun dynamic because most of the time you'll have a writer who writes the story and then a completely different person illustrates it. And like you said earlier, you know, you get given the story and you you draw for the story. But it's quite unusual to have someone that gets to write the story and illustrate the same story. Yeah, and it's easy, you know, if I was illustrating, I've never illustrated a kid's book by anyone, um, except I, I did illustrate that the author had been long dead. So, But the point is, you, I, I imagine you'd have an urge to say, oh, can we can we change this text a little so I can draw what I want to draw? And I would imagine most of the time they'd say no. But if you're the writer, then you can be generous to yourself and say, sure, go ahead, knock yourself out. So it's it's good from that point of view. Excellent. Well, we've run out of time. I was getting really into that. It was so good. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to pop links to your new book and to your website and to all of the authors and books that you have mentioned into the show notes. And thank you very much for coming on. It's been marvellous. Not at all. Time has flown. I didn't realise we'd um, really <laughs> done. That's great. I highly, highly recommend Tom's new book. I've read it since recording this and it is heartbreaking and beautiful and wonderful. And it does indeed have a happy ending. Do check out Tom on Twitter. We'll pop his Twitter link in the show notes. Do follow us on Twitter at shelf underscore healing for fun book things on Twitter. Thanks, as always, to Nicholas Patrick for our music and to Nat Bolsch for our transcripts. 